That song says, heal my heart and make it clean and open my eyes to the things unseen. Is that your prayer this morning? In your own way, if you feel comfortable, would you just lift your hands and make that your prayer today? Father, we, we sing Hosanna today. We sing Hosanna in the highest because you are the great God. And Lord, we pray today that you would heal and that you would mend and that you would open, Lord, that you would give us a burden for your work. We thank you for your word and we thank you for all that you've done, but God, we pray for those that need healing today. We know you're able to heal. God, we pray that you would open our eyes to see what what you're doing in the world and not just what we see, but let us see through your lens. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Thank you, Metro Choir, ministry today in song. Hosanna. A little over 25 years ago, at the height of Operation Desert Storm, Ruth Dillo received a very sad message from the Pentagon. The message stated that her son Clayton had stepped on a landmine in Kuwait and was killed. Ruth later wrote these words, I can't begin to describe my grief and shock. It was almost more than I could bear. For three days, I just wept. I expressed anger and loss. For three days, people tried to comfort me, but nothing worked. The loss was simply too great. But three days after she received that message, the phone rang. And the voice on the other end said, Mom, it's me. It's Clayton. I'm alive. Ruth said, I couldn't believe it at first, but then I recognized his voice, and I realized he really was alive. The first message was all a mistake, and she said, I laughed, I cried, I felt like turning cartwheels because my son, who I thought was dead, was actually alive. The feelings that Ruth Dillo experienced, the the pain, the sorrow, the loss, and the joy and, and the jubilation have to be similar to those feelings that the two travelers on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24 felt. Turn with me there if you would. You see, in this part of the scripture, we find a passage where it's just after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, Or just before the resurrection of, I'm sorry, just after the resurrection of Jesus. But not everyone knew what was happening. And these two travelers were on their way to Emmaus. And as they traveled, they had conversation that the scripture allows us to peer into They were disappointed, they were upset, they were hurting, they were broken. They talked about how they had high hopes for what was going on. You see, the resurrection had happened, but they weren't aware of it yet. They had high hopes for who Jesus was. They thought that Jesus was going to come back and be the Messiah, but Jesus died. They had high hopes that he would restore Israel and make Israel this prominent nation and now they would rule and it would be their turn to be in charge for a while, but Jesus died. They put all their eggs in one basket and now that basket had been turned over. Does that sound familiar to some of you? Look with me if you would at Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. The scripture says this, 
Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Stop right there a moment. They were rehearsing the story. They were rehearsing the accounts. And you know, that's something that we do. When you're alone sometimes, when you're driving in your car, when you're by yourself, don't you do that? Don't you rehearse everything that's happened? Sometimes disappointment starts to creep into our life and we start to talk about and think about the things that we wished would have happened. I wish that marriage would have worked out. I wish I would have passed the test. I wish my kids would have come home. I wish the surgery had been successful. And we have this inner dialogue that sometimes can haunt us because disappointment shows up so much that we just say, God, where did I miss it? Where did we go wrong? And that's exactly what the two travelers on the road to Emmaus were doing. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. That last part of the verse really intrigues me. They were kept from recognizing him. Their vision was blocked. They had a blocked vision. Let me ask you this question. What could keep you from recognizing Jesus? What could keep you from recognizing Jesus? Sometimes hopelessness leads us to a place where we find that we can't even recognize Jesus in our situation. We're blinded by our disappointment. Our vision is blocked. And so many things that we had high hopes for, we just can't find a purpose. I'm so frustrated at work. The preacher says that I'm supposed to have a purpose and that God's working all these things out, but I just can't see any traction. I can't see anything moving forward. This is where they were. And as they walked along the road, Jesus showed up. They were talking about the things, the events. I imagine that so many people were talking about. It was big news. Jesus had been crucified. And disappointment was dominating their conversation. You know, that's what we talk about. We talk about things that could have been, that should have been. If he would have done this, if she would have done that. You know, uh, if I could just armchair quarterback this thing a little bit, we could go back in time and change some things. But as they walked along the road, their discouragement was leading them away. So Jesus shows up. And in verse 19, he speaks to them. Look at what it says. What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. When I read that, I can't help but ask this question. How can someone walking with Jesus who knows the scripture, who's heard the story of the resurrection from people that they know and love still not see him? 
How can these two travelers be so blind? Jesus is walking with them. Jesus is talking to them. I'll tell you how. Because these two travelers struggled with the same stuff that you and I struggle with. They struggle with doubt. They struggle with confusion. We understand, we read this story because we can associate with this story. We read the scripture, we know the stories, but so many times we find ourselves walking the road of doubt. So many times we say, God, I've seen you move, I've seen you heal, I've seen you provide, I've seen you do all these things, but in the moment, my faith wavers. Can I, just, can I just encourage you today? Don't let your faith waver. Can I just encourage you? Hold strong to the promises of God. Can I just encourage you to remind and refresh yourself of the testimonies of what God's done? You know what was reminded to me today? Today's been 10 weeks since Miss Gwen was healed of multiple sclerosis. 10 weeks. If you find yourself in a place where doubt is starting to creep in and you're not sure how it's going to work out and the enemy starts to get in your ear and say, God's going to fail you this time, it's not going to work, see I told you so, you just need to remind him of what God's done in your past. You just need to remind him that God has a promise for your future. You need to remind him of Gwen's healing and your salvation and how God said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Remind yourself of the promise. So they're walking with Jesus, and Jesus is talking to them, but they can't recognize him. And so as they continue down the road, they tell Jesus the story of Jesus. They tell Jesus the story of something that he just lived, because they have a blocked vision, and they don't know who they're walking with. How can they be so blind? Well, verse 25, I don't have it on the screen, but Jesus answers that question. He tells them that uh, they are foolish and slow of heart. They're foolish and they're slow of heart. Do you know what foolishness is? Foolishness is having good information but making a bad decision. Foolishness is having good information making a bad decision they were slow of heart to believe and my prayer today is God don't let me be foolish don't let me be slow of heart but let me respond in faith to what you want me to do you see these two travelers they struggled with some of the same things we struggle with they didn't see what was happening and because they couldn't see what was going on they didn't have faith on the inside and that's not the way faith works In fact, I would argue that so much of the resurrection isn't just about what you see, but it's about what's not seen. You see, the women didn't see the stone blocking the tomb. And they didn't see the body of Jesus when they went there. And the angel asked them, why are you trying to see what's living among the dead? And then Peter showed up and he didn't see the body of the Lord Jesus. The disciples didn't see how any of this could be possible. Cleopas and his friend didn't see how Israel was going to be redeemed and they didn't see who was walking next to them. Nobody could see what was really going on. Sometimes we find ourselves unable to see Jesus in our messy, broken situation. But let me remind you, the resurrection isn't about what's seen as much as what's not seen. 
Let me remind you that Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. And when you walk this walk of faith, you don't do so based on what you see. You do so based on what you know. And we know that his promises are are true. We know that his word is yes and amen. We know that his word will never lead us in a place where his spirit won't go with us. We trust his word completely because we step out in faith and say, regardless of the fact that I don't see a situation, I don't see a solution right now, I'm still trusting you completely. Are you trusting the Lord today? Are you trusting? Amen. So they're walking with Jesus. And they talk to Jesus and they tell Jesus the story of who Jesus is and all that's just happened, but they tell it through a lens of doubt and we're just not really sure and we're kind of disappointed and things didn't turn out the way that we thought they should. Does that sound like your prayer life sometimes? We go to Jesus and we say, hey God, I'm so disappointed because I had a plan. God, just let me tell you what happened as if God didn't know. And we say, God, God, I just, I had all these plans and I had this thing designed out and it just, it all fell through. And all the while, Jesus is walking with us saying, I've got a greater plan. It's a bigger picture than anything you can imagine. You're just going to have to trust. And so as they walk, look at verse 28 in chapter 24. As they approach the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You see, in the story, they moved from blocked vision to burning hearts. Can I just tell you, things change at the table with Jesus. Things change at the table with Jesus. Things didn't immediately get better when they started to journey with Jesus. Things didn't immediately get better when they heard some of the teaching that was going on, but something was happening in their hearts before they recognized it with their minds or saw it with their eyes. And the same thing's going on with you. You may not have uh, the way that all the puzzle pieces fit together yet. You may not have all the solutions just yet, but you know that God has started something inside you. You know that, that God has placed this burning in your heart and you don't really understand how all of it's gonna work out, but you know that God's in it. And as they rehearsed what just happened as Jesus disappeared after he gave them the bread, after they took together, they said, didn't our hearts burn inside of us? See, God started something in you and you're not totally sure of what it is yet, but there's a burning in your heart that can't be explained. And the difficulty is we say, God, I want you to show me. God, I want you to show me first, and then I'll take the step. And God is saying, no, take the step, and then I'll show you. 
And he plants stuff in our hearts. He plants dreams in our hearts. He puts plans in our hearts and desires in our hearts. And sometimes things go opposite of the way we think they should be, but that's when faith steps in and we say, even when I don't see, I know there's a burning in my heart today. I know that I'm following the lead of the Holy Spirit. I know that you've spoken to me and I'm gonna trust your word and I'm gonna do what you've called me to do, even though I can't see what's happening. Let me ask you this, has the Lord put something burning in your heart? See, these two guys, they traveled with Jesus. They heard the teachings, but they didn't recognize the Savior until they were at the table. They walked in their disappointment. Is there a situation in your life where there's so much disappointment that you can't see Jesus in any of it? Is there a situation in your life where you started off and everything was guns blazing and man, I'm a thousand miles an hour, but now... God, I'm I'm struggling. Can I encourage you? Hold on to that burning in your heart. Hold on to what God has placed inside you. Allow the Holy Spirit to just speak to your heart and say, okay, here's the deal. You may not see the future, but I know where we're going with this thing. And you just hold on to what I've given you and allow that Holy Spirit to burn it into your heart so that you can say, when the scriptures are open, Lord, I hear your word, but not only do I hear it, but I know it's true because you've burned it inside me. These guys traveled with Jesus, but they didn't recognize him until they sat at the table. Think about that. They they journeyed with Jesus. They heard him speak, but when he broke the bread, the scripture says they realized who he was, and that leads us to the next part, blocked vision, burning hearts, and broken bread. Look at what it says in verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Jesus was recognized when he broke the bread. Not when he did some kind of big miracle. Not when there was some huge sign or wonder that was following him. Not even when he started reciting scripture. Jesus was recognized when he broke the bread. Don't miss this. You see, they walked with Jesus and and didn't fully recognize him. And, and, And sometimes that's what happens with us. We start this faith journey. We say a prayer. We ask God into our heart. We ask God into our lives. But we're not fully aware of who Jesus is. And then Jesus started talking to them. He started conversing with them. And sometimes that happens to us too. We read the scripture and we know this is God's word, but we're just not totally sure yet. But then they recognized him when he broke the bread. And the breaking of the bread is when you sit down and say, I want to have fellowship with you. You see, it's one thing to say a prayer and start a journey with Jesus. It's another thing to attend a Bible study. But it's all something else when you sit down at the table with Jesus and say, share with me. Tell me who you are. We have so many people that wander around church today and they said a prayer 20 years ago and they've been faithful to Sunday school and Wednesday night and I'm in a small group and I'm doing all this stuff but 
but they never sit down at the table with Jesus and let him reveal himself to them. Are you seated at the table with Jesus? Are you listening to what the master says? Are you allowing him to reveal himself to you in close, personal relationship? Not just a prayer, not just, hey, I heard about you. Hey, I can recite some facts and I can put some scriptures out and I can even tell you where they're found. Uh, That's great. That's powerful. But are you seated at the table with Jesus? Is he breaking bread? Is he blessing it? Is he speaking into your life in a way that reveals who he is to you? It's part of, as part of the miracle of what we do here today. We don't do communion just because it's on the calendar. We don't, we don't do all this just because we say, well, you know, we've got some folks that really enjoy decorating, and that's why we'll do communion. No. This is special to us. We believe that, that something powerful happens when we take communion. We believe that Jesus reveals himself to us. This is a sacrament for us. When we participate in this, there's some things, we'll, we'll talk about this later, but there's some things I want to I help you identify with. And the first thing is this. This is the Lord's table. This is not the church's table. That's that's important to know. This is not my table. This is not your table. This is the Lord's table. And since it's his table, we respond to his invitation to come. You know, I've been to people's home to have dinner before, and I've had people in my home to have dinner before. And anytime you're a guest or anytime you receive guests, things are a little different. You, You know, you tell your kids to make sure they comb their hair and pick up their stuff. And, and, and before they get there, you know, you're getting all the stuff out and you want to make sure the dishwasher didn't leave any of the forks dirty. And you start to prepare all that stuff. But you know what happens in, in probably every home I've been in? I can't remember it happening different than this. When you go in to eat, wherever the table is, if you're a guest and you show up or someone comes in your home, there's this time where everybody just kind of stands there for a moment because nobody wants to take the wrong seat. And we understand that's manners and that's etiquette and that's the right way to do it, but you know what? That's because you don't own the table. And then when the person who owns the home comes in and she says, you sit here. Or he says, hey, why don't you have a seat right here? Then you go ahead and you make yourself welcome because you respond to their invitation because they own the table. Can I just tell you, this is the Lord's table. And he's inviting you to come. He's drawing you to come. And when you come, you come with a heart that says, this is your table, this is your invitation, this is your agenda. God, we're going to sit at this table. I'm not going to dominate the conversation with things that didn't happen in the past because it's your table. This is your table. I want you to talk to me about the things that you want to talk to me about. That's the second thing. We don't control what happens at the table. We don't control what happens at the table. We come here in submission and surrender, and we are saying, Jesus, reorder my life in the way you want it. Jesus, I'm out of control with this. I don't have this. 
This isn't mine. This is yours. And I'm seated at your table. Now you tell me, reveal yourself to me. Break the bread. Reveal yourself. Tell me who you are. Reorder and restructure my life in a way that you want it to be. The table's important. I think back to my life. I think about growing up and how we had this table, the dinner table. In fact, I miss the dinner table sometimes. We have a society that doesn't push the dinner table anymore. In fact, everybody's busy and everybody's running, but growing up at 5.30, you, you had to run or you had to, you had to take a plane or you had to build a time machine, but you better be at the table at 5.30. You know why? Because special things happen around the table. I remember sitting at a table uh, when my brother-in-law asked for my sister's hand in marriage, I remember sitting at the table planning my dad's funeral. Powerful things happen at the table. But when we come to his table, it's not ours to control. We don't control what happens here. We simply surrender and say, God, restructure, reorder my life, change things around. I'm answering your invitation, change things. And then thirdly, this isn't just symbolic for us. Some of you get nervous when I talk like this. This isn't just a symbol for us. God is not inactive or passive until we say, okay, Lord, meet us here. No, he's moving in your journey. He's moving in your discipleship. He's moving. The Spirit of God is moving in you. And when we come to this table, we believe that this, this is part of God just revealing himself to us again it's not just a symbol it's a sacrament here's how it works for us here in just a moment some of our elders and ushers are going to come down and they're going to dismiss you by row you're going to exit to my left and your right as you come down you can use both sides of the table and pick up the bread pick up a cup and then return back to your seat once everyone's been served, then we'll all partake together. If you're here and you have special dietary needs, we have gluten-free communion at the round tables on the side. But you see there's a table in front of every section. And as our music team leads us in a song, here's what I want you to do. First Corinthians, Paul, Paul writes in Corinthians and says that we should examine ourselves before we receive this, before we come to the Lord's table. I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there anything that I have blocked vision in my life? Is there anything that's blocked me from seeing God move? Is, there, is my disappointment, is my hopelessness blocking me from seeing what God wants to do? I want you to evaluate your life and say this, God, am I trying to reorder things in my way or will I allow you to burn some things in my heart and just trust even though I don't know yet? And then I want you to ask yourself this question, Lord, how do you want to reorder my life today? As our music team leads us, would you come to the table?
just in case you're wondering, it's the Lord's table and there's always room for you. I'm so glad our children are here with us today so that we can do this as a family. If you're here and physically you were unable to come forward and receive the elements, but you would like to partake, would you slip your hand up so our elders and our team can serve you this morning? Anyone? We want to make sure everyone has an opportunity to be served. Thank you, elders, for your help today. This week in my reading, I came across a uh, celebration of the Eucharist from a community that I, I, I thought this was so beautiful. I wanted to read it to you. The table of bread and wine is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more. Come to this table, you who have been here often and you who have not been for a while. Come to this table, you who have tried to follow Jesus and all of us who have failed. Come, it is Christ who invites us to meet him here. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it. And he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Would you take the bread? After supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is, is the new covenant of my blood. This is poured out for our sin. This is poured out for our healing. Would you drink all of it? Now find a place in front of you to set that cup down and in your own way, just lift your hands and thank him. Thank him for the body and the blood. Thank him that the blood will never lose its power. Thank him for his goodness. Just take a moment and thank him and bless his name. Just take a moment and meet him at the table and answer his invitation. Just take a moment today and say, God, burn some things in my heart. Burn some things in my life. Remove some doubt. Remove the disappointment. Don't let my vision be blocked, but let me see you. Walking with me. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And it flows to the lowest valley. Oh, the blood that gives me strength from day to day. Let's sing it together. Oh, because it reaches. Oh, it reaches.